welcome to another Hunt Lore podcast. My name is David Hepner. Today I speak with a good friend, Ryan Derlego. He is the owner-operator of Stick Flingers Manitoba Bear Hunts. It's a bear hunting outfit. So if you want to come bear hunting in Manitoba, check them out. Just Google Stick Flingers, www.stickflingers.com. And all his info will come up. Read the website and you'll get all the info you need for a great bear hunt in western Manitoba. He is also the co-owner of Black Bear Wear with me. That's a clothing company basically targeting bear hunters and everyone else who thinks the logo is pretty cool. But the shirts have some funny sayings on there that are basically just uh, bear hunting related. I'm sure you guys will like them. You can check out blackbearwear.com. That's B-L-A-K without the C. So it's blackbearwear.com. Black is without the C, just the K. We go over how he got into hunting and he was basically born into it. Basically bow hunting royalty. Here in Manitoba, his dad was one of the first, if not the first, well, with a group of guys to bow hunt bears over bait. And back then it was with a stick bow. I'm sure they were doing it down in the States before, but here in Manitoba, it wasn't very common. Ryan goes over all of that and his early days of elk hunting and moose hunting as well. You will not want to miss this one because Ryan is a wealth of knowledge and I'm definitely going to have him on again. So sit back and enjoy. My name is David Hepner, and this is the Hunt Lord Podcast, where we will spark our imaginations and pay tribute to the time-honored tradition of hunting by sharing our stories of the hunt. Hunt Lore is brought to you by Black Bear Wear, bear hunting apparel for bear hunters and everyone else. Get it, wear it, share it. So did you get a bit like, did I rile you up a little bit with the uh, comment that your buck looks small? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was like, I like getting it. Well, the thing is, it's, it's like, such a like, bad oh, picture. It it's not a horrible picture, but it's bad enough where it's like, yeah, you're making it look big. You know what I mean? But when you're taking it with an old school camera, you don't, and you're not taking it, you don't know what it's going to look like. You, the person can't even hand it to you and but say, oh, looked, how's that? Right? It looks good though. The picture's not bad. It's not a bad picture, but it's... <laughs> Like, it's definitely like, oh, what we make fun of <laughs> right so oh that was funny i showed donna that one i was like yeah i told Ryan this is just little buck like is that big you know donna starts laughing right away it's like yeah she even knows yeah she doesn't know too much but it was a cool looking buck 180 right uh gross 192 mm. i think it scored 170 something yeah. net can't be doing that no right? we're not well, i'm we're super popular all... so i mean it would be going off like yeah. probably every yeah 10 seconds or so you should put jason's um elk bugle on there <sighs> that thing is that a bit annoying well no that's uh those stories about him like being fishing and somebody saying did you hear the elk bugle like they're on yeah on uh on the red and you could hear the guys in the other boat being like you guys hear that there's an elk bugling Meanwhile, Jason's yeah. phone is making them think there's actually yeah. an elk out there. All right. Well, we can get started. All right. Welcome to my podcast, Ryan Derlego. Thank you, David. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You got to speak closer to the mic, man. 
Thanks for having me, David. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> so yeah, I got to I guess thank you for the idea of Hunt Lore, the name, first of all. Yeah, that was kind of weird that? how it just it was like one of those right now things. Like when you said you were going to think of a podcast name, it was like Hunt Lore. Yeah. It's like I don't know, but it works. Because a lot of things I run by you, like ideas, mm-hmm. obviously, hunting ideas mainly, uh, ideas with black bear wear. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, I'll see what skinny or I <laughs> thinks of this. And yeah, it's just I knew you would be thinking about names right away. Yeah. It was within like half an hour I had, you texted me like multiple names for the podcast. Yeah, for sure. And you know, those kind of things gets in my head. When you get me on something, I can't turn it off. Yeah. Right. It's like the brain just keeps going and going. Yeah. And go. It's like when I forget a name of a person, I can't rest until I remember that name. You do the same thing with me with ideas. So, yeah, that's good because I did talk to Adam Balls about this idea and I was going to settle on Rattling Junkie because I've kind of developed that brand with a little bit with YouTube. Right. And he just did not like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if he just doesn't like Rattling Junkie to begin with, like the name. Yeah. But he just said, it doesn't really sound like hunting stories or anything. Like, what am I looking at? What am I listening to? For sure. Like people that know you would know that has something to do with you, but they would never think automatically by the name that it would be a podcast. Yeah. So you hear hunt lore. It's like people right away as they said, oh, it's like folklore. Yeah. Right. Lore. So that's kind of like how we like uh, it. Yeah. And obviously I'm going to have you on here because we've been friends for a little while. Way too long. Yeah, way too long. <laughs> From my perspective, not long enough. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't even grow a mustache, I don't think, back yeah. then. Well, <laughs> a little bit, eh? A little bit. Yeah, exactly. About 10, over 10 years now. And that was through the guiding. Yeah. Well, right? way more than that, because you, we were friends before you even guided. Yeah, a couple and years, I guess. was 13 years ago yeah. that that's been going on. Yeah. So probably 14. Yeah. So That's a long time. It is. And I guess, you know, like I talked to Brett Unruh the other day on mm-hmm. the podcast. Yeah. And he, he mentioned good. he was good. Yeah. Really good on, I guess, on the mic. Yeah. Not on video. I couldn't believe that he said he didn't do well with Aaron on that video. I like, was. Su- when he's so natural. Oh, it was. I'd never met the guy, mm-hmm. you know, just through Instagram messaging, that stuff. And then just right away as he gets on, it's like. I'm just going to sit back and let you talk. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, that's why people want to listen to hunt stories. They want to, they don't want to listen to me per se. Yeah. And I want to listen to the guy sitting across the table from yeah. me. Well, he's a prime example of a person that people can relate to because the amount of time that he has or lack of time that he has. I think that if Unra spent the amount of time out there that oh. a lot of guys do, he'd be very, he'd have big numbers. Oh, huge but yeah. i think he's doing it right like he's putting family, family first. first yeah big Great time guy. yeah big time putting family first all that sort of uh stuff so that was good and what where i was going with that was he mentioned you and jason mm-hmm. that he was like internet stalking you guys yeah and good. i said hey i did the same thing on both yeah. sides yeah you know it's weird to hear that because like i don't feel like i deserve that place because i didn't seem like it was that long ago when i was looking up to people right but there was no internet it was yeah, just that through was, magazines and stuff right and magazines your 
dad, of course. We'll My get, dad. Yeah, exactly. We'll get all Just into people that. I knew, right? But And then all of a sudden you're there and you find out later that people are coming to you for advice and it's like, wow, like, how did I get here and do they, do I really deserve this, you know? But Well, I think it happens quick though, too. Well, quick, but then when you look back over time, it's not so quick. You know, it ends up being 30 years later. It's like, yeah, I do have a, you yeah. know, your few adventures under you're my getting belt. Older. I am. You're, I am. You're getting older. We won't say your age. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how we met, eh? Through Bowsight. I yeah. saw your posts. I saw Jason's posts. Um, I probably messaged you a couple times about bears, I'm assuming. You, I remember um, yeah. talking to you and right away, it was the fact that you were just like me. Yeah. I could see myself in you. Yeah. At the same stage, right? Just and a shorter, chubbier, not as good looking version. But you're talking about yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I won't post a picture of us too. Side no, by side. Yeah. Not a good idea. No. That's why this is an audio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that was good, you know, like, and then, yeah, we just got to talking and you needed a guide. Mm-hmm. So you reached out. It was the right time in my life with university and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. I needed a job in springtime. Yep. And it was perfect. Yep. And then, yeah, it just went from there. Mm-hmm. We've moose hunted together, elk yep. hunted once. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a little bit of bear hunting, obviously the bear guiding. But that's right. Yeah. Not too much deer, but that's kind of more of an individual no. thing anyways. Helping each other out a couple yeah. of times. Oh, but that's throwing yep. huge. Like. The last two years on my, I guess you could call it a journey to big woods, whitetail hunting, huge, just all those in-season uh, pep talks. For sure. And you need it for oh. those, for that kind of hunting. It's, yeah, when you aren't seeing a deer, you see one deer a day and you're like. Yeah. You're and pretty, you could go back to your old spot and see a whole bunch. See a whole bunch, yep. but I'm going to see a lot of 80 inchers running around mm-hmm. and I know I'm going to shoot one and people. It yep. just wasn't good. For sure. So... No, I think that's the best thing you've done for your whitetail hunting. Oh, I think so. The, the thing is, I don't want to get stuck in a rut again. You know, well, like no play on words there, pun intended. But I it think is. that the way you're hunting in the area you're hunting now won't allow it as much. You can't just hunt one little bottleneck between a river and a field and it keep producing. You know, where you're at, you're going to have to put a little more work in getting into spots yeah you know, like staying on top of spots checking out new spots and the nice thing too is now where you're at you don't have to be getting permission no right? you just look at your maps and go yeah that's right exactly that's the biggest thing is the freedom with it is hunting big woods yeah public land i know there's a rage with like the public land but in manitoba it's no it's totally different i don't think it's the same no i've had as good hunting on public land as i do on my own private land maybe better because of the fact that it's the same thing there's no people no matter what so there's no real need to buy property when you've got hundreds and hundreds of acres that you're not going to see anybody on anyways i know it's a little bit of a misnomer i think when people here in manitoba i hunt public land do it diy it's like oh there's no one on the public land no there can be if guys go to like one little section close to a town or a city for sure and it's like they don't know where else to go because their buddy showed them hey this is where i go that's right kind of like josh harwood like hey go to this uh 
fire road, I guess, mm -hmm. right? And that's because it's a firearms area. Yeah. yeah. And you can just drive out. You can see a long ways down a cut line or wherever. It's just, well, if you actually expand a little bit and explore, mm -hmm. you're going to get into areas where no one actually goes. No. And there's a difference. The deer are so much more relaxed there. You can see deer doing what deer do rather not just how they react to people. But right. it does require like a mile. Sometimes not a, that's the longest hike I have generally. Yeah. Is one mile. Yeah, sure. You could go further. But how I far have, do you want to go in November and get sweated up? And, not far. Right. And you got all that gear to, that we need to stay warm. And it's about a, it's about a mile. Yeah. I would say. And that's, a, that's so doable. It takes like 20 minutes to mm -hmm. walk through the bush. Not even that bad, yeah. really. But it guarantees you're not going to see anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Except that guy that I rattled in last year, that old guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was close to some access. Mm -hmm. Like it was easy bush to walk That's through. That's right. Open pines, beautiful area. And yeah. He's, whatever. He's going for a hike and he heard two bucks fighting. And why wouldn't you go? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I think for us, we would have realized it was probably a guy rattling. Likely. I think so. But who knows? In the bush, right? But it if he's hunted in, there for years and never seen anybody doing that. He could. That's another thing. And it's one of those sounds that you don't want to walk away from because what if I've done that with elk before where I was like, oh, that's just a hunter. And then you kind of disregard it ends up, it comes in and it's an elk and you should have set up properly the first time. Because it just doesn't sound, doesn't sound clean like a good what? sounding elk. Yeah. Well, that was moose hunting when I moose hunted the prairies there. My dad and I, we walked into this piece and there's this, we get in there like 10 minutes in. I'm wearing all black in the archery season. Yeah. Because Jason suggested that, but it was like that fleece and it was warm out. I was sweating like crazy. Like, it's like, this is not a good idea. The sun's beating down, but whatever, I'm doing it. And I hear this cow calling like lots. Yeah. Like more than you or I would ever do. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a hunter. That's for sure a hunter. Yeah. Because there's other access into this place and people allow permission generally everywhere there or pretty easy. A lot of the landowners allow guys on there. So I go back to the road, no truck, nobody's there. Exactly. That's a moose. That is for sure. I, I, I had Bob Eaton tell, tell me years ago as well that he had one under him calling and he couldn't believe that it was nonstop. It just kept really? calling. That yeah. was out East. I and guess. he's very knowledgeable. No, that was yeah. in the. Okay. Beep. <laughs> I'm beeping that one. That's <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah, that yeah. was over in yeah. Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's just, yeah, he's hunting Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So I guess I have you on here really to hear your hunting stories, how you got into it. I know these stories, but I always like hearing them again. And I know there's people out there that want to hear it too. Okay, can we cut this? We can cut. Okay, because yeah. she's going to keep barking until she gets okay. water. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could all be cut, yeah. Who is that big? They hunt like Georgia, Atlanta, like the cities. Oh, yeah, they the, the suburbs. Bucks. Yeah, they shoot giants. Giant deer. He's hooked yeah. up with them. Like they're like, yeah. I don't know what they got going on there. But, yeah. So it's kind of neat. Like I used to hunt like that a bit. And it, it's very productive. If you want to kill big deer... You yeah. hunt where there's people, like lots of people, not just where there's a few hunters that spook the deer out of there, but where the deer are used to people. Yeah. You like have between to have houses and stuff. And 
it's a it's a really good tactic to kill big deer. I just got sick of the atmosphere. I just couldn't be doing it anymore. It's not my idea. Well, of- that's Ryan Taves has a place out east where he bow hunts and he knows the best area is like in this little funnel or tree line because he has cameras up, but it's right by a farmyard and he's allowed to be there. Farmers don't care or the landowner. He was just, no, it's not. Fun. He's like, I know it's the best spot. And he's like, but I'm hunting back in the back area. Yeah. He's like, I just, he's like, I can't bring myself to set up yeah. on a house. It's whatever you base your hunt on. If you're results-based, then you would be hunting there. Yeah. If you're method-based, you know, or experience-based, yeah, you know, then, yeah. and that comes with time and cycles. Oh, and Exactly. So we're back to you recording here. Okay. Okay. You're going to tell me about how you got into hunting. Yeah. That was just something from birth. I mean... I guess you could call me almost hunting privileged <laughs> that I grew up in a hunting family. That's a big term nowadays. Hey, you're privileged, just, you know. We're very woke on hunt lore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, just uh, my dad. That's what we did. We went hunting. And as far back as I can remember, that's what we did with okay. bows, which so, was quite rare back yeah, in the 70s, right? In Manitoba. In Manitoba, it was rare. You know, it wasn't rare in Midwest. But up here, there was barely anybody, maybe a handful of guys that did it. And I was the kid that they would drag along with them. I remember thoughts, memories of like being in a tree stand with my dad at such a young age that it was hard to stretch from one tree peg to the other to climb up there. And of course, not having the right clothing and freezing. And Did you guys wear safety harnesses? Yep. Dad tied me in. It wasn't with a harness because they didn't have harnesses. It was a rope? Just with a rope, yeah. Nice. Tied me in. You know, it, I probably would fall like a leaf at that age. I was so yeah. little and light. How high were the stands? Uh, my dad hunted reasonably high, like 15 to 17 oh, wow. feet, probably. Probably higher than I hunt now. And if you're stretching it at that age. That's right, yeah. A- but you also grow up without a fear of heights when you're doing it all the time like that, right? So Yeah, climbing trees everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just that, um, everything was hunting based, um, shooting bows was hunting, you know, that was just what we did. Did your dad come from a line of hunters or? My dad grew up hunting with his dad, uh, but with a gun, uh, not a lot, but they would go out during hunting season and get their deer. And my dad's first deer when he was a teenager was a quite a big buck, like 150 inch four by four. Wow. Yeah, that was his first one. And I remember him telling the story that he that kind of got him hooked is that he shot this great deer for his first one and then mm-hmm. always wanted to pursue big deer after that. And then there was just something in him that made him want to bow hunt. Uh, yeah, he, he didn't have any of that coming from his father, but it was just something in him that he wanted to do. And he tells stories about uh, because no, there was nobody, there was no internet, there was no books, there was no nothing for him to learn from. So he got a recurve bow and they would take a bear, they would take a beaver and go near a garbage dump and put the beaver out and sit beside it. And when they left, they would take it with them because <laughs> they wouldn't want something, yeah, yeah. they wouldn't want something to take it because that was their bait that would stop the bear on its way to the garbage dump. And then they eventually just learned that let's set baits of our own rather than like our little mini garbage dumps. Yeah. 
And that's, that's how baiting started. <laughs> so they throw the bait out and then take it back take with it them. Take it back with them. <laughs> and we know as uh, outfitter and guide that we kind of want the bait there for a little kinda bit. I want it there, but think of the money we'd save. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We'll throw half a bag of trail mix. Hopefully something comes in. Yeah, yeah. Shovel yeah. it back up when we leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So, Do yeah. You- and then for me, it just stuck, the hunting. I even got to the point when I was a teenager where it was keep playing hockey or hunt. And that was when I said, well, you know what? Because that's when it gears up is in September for hockey. And mm-hmm. that's also when hunting starts going. And I was like, well, I'm not playing hockey anymore. Were you a pretty good hockey player? I was a promising hockey player. Well, you have a relative who yeah. played professional hockey, correct? A couple of them. So, yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> but it was a no brainer for me. Really? I knew wow. I wasn't going to play hockey for the rest of my life but I knew that I would hunt for the rest of my life. So I was like, okay, this is an easy, easy decision. Did your dad talk to you about that at all? Do you remember having conversations I around that? I don't recall. I just remember that it was very clear to me what I had to do. So. If you wanted to remain in the family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah son, uh, you can play hockey, but, you know. Your yeah. new foster family. You're gonna have to find a new dad. <laughs> yeah. New yeah. Dad. So then from there, so you're hunting with your dad. Hunting with my dad. How old uh, were growing you? up anywhere from when I was I mean, shooting bows from when I was three, walking through the woods, shooting arrows out of a tree stand, doing stuff like that. I remember him at the time I thought I was finding antlers when we were shed hunting, but I knew very well now as I grew up that he was putting them there and making me find them. And which I appreciate. And you've passed on that tradition a little bit too. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all have, right? Yeah, exactly. You you turn the blind eye when you see one, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, and then it, uh, going with him hunting started probably when he, when I was about, I don't know, six or seven. A couple of times I would go out. I remember having a cough and him giving me a bunch of cough syrup. And I guess he got me to drink too much cough syrup and it knocked me out. <laughs> and when I woke up, there was a bear yawning, looking at me yawning. And all I could see was its mouth open. And I was like, what's going on? That's funny. Yeah. And then, and then he actually missed that bear. And it's funny because when Beckett came with me and you were there, yeah. I missed my first bear with yeah. my son there. No kidding. And my dad missed his first bear with me there. I didn't so, realize that. Yeah. Kind of weird. Kind of funny. Passing on the tradition there as well. Yeah, and he was using a compound with sights and everything. He still missed. But he, I remember he said he, he had a brand new finger tab. He had never used it before. Did he practice with it? No, because he lost his other one and grabbed one on the way out. And he thinks that that was the reason. I mean, it, it probably was, but. Makes sense. Yeah. Something new. Yeah. It's going to throw you off a little bit. People nowadays don't even know what finger tabs are. So. No. They weren't that cool, though. No. <laughs> They're not that accurate. <laughs> no, shooting uh, releases better. Way more ethical. Yes. I didn't even know, like when I got into it, it wasn't like that long ago, I guess, 20 years ago, but I didn't know anybody that shot fingers. Didn't even know that was a thing until you start reading in magazines a little bit. Yeah, like Chuck Adams and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, like moving from fingers to a release. It's just, yeah, it's all been released for me. So you're doing that. Uh, there's a good story with you shooting a bear. Oh, Your yeah, first my first bear. That was a, that was a shooting gallery. <clears throat> I had uh, 
I think I had shot a deer before that bear. And then after I shot that deer, I, that was with a compound, I shot the deer. And then I started shooting a recurve um, as I had previously shot when I was a kid. Um, and it was also that kind of resurgence of traditional archery in the late 80s. And I had bought a, I had got for Christmas actually a, a recurve from my parents. Shot it every day for Christmas vacation um, to the point where I had a huge scab on my right cheek from letting go and my hand dragging across my face, like thousands and thousands of arrows. You just try yeah. not to bump the table because it bumps this. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to keep yelling? Like, are you going to keep yelling at me? Yeah, I'm going to yell at you. <laughs> Don't ruin the podcast. <laughs> and you, you had a big scab on your cheek. <laughs> I know. Allegedly I was just looking for sympathy. <laughs> So yeah, I continued to shoot that stick bow all winter. Um, had read a book by Fred, Fred Asbell called Instinctive Shooting, which at the time was the book on shooting traditional bows. Mm -hmm. And looking back now, it was probably the worst advice you could possibly give anybody on shooting a bow. It teaches you to snap shoot, but that was the thing. So I perfected snap shooting. And uh, that spring headed to the woods for my first bear with a bow, which happened to be a recurve. So I had, I had made my own arrows. I had that one of those Martin quivers that holds, I think seven or I think eight arrows, maybe it's like a wall of arrows yeah. on your bow. And it was shortly after I got up in the tree, my dad wasn't even with me. He was hunting with my mom. So there I am hunting <laughs> by myself. That's just how it was in my family. <laughs> yeah. And this bear came in, it was cinnamon colored bear. It actually, I think another bear was at the bait. It was a bit smaller. Hard to believe it was smaller than the one I shot, but this one came in. It's kind of a blonde cinnamon colored bear with like raccoon mask, pretty mm -hmm. cool looking bear. And I knew I was going to shoot it and it rolled in and I shot it down through the back uh, and I hit the spine. Uh, they they would have went through the lungs if I hadn't hit the spine because I was actually shooting down through the back. And then, you know what happens when you hit them in the spine and they start rolling around. Well, I shot every arrow in that quiver either into that bear or around that bear. And it rolled over all of them and it dragged itself using its front legs to the, uh, the tree next to the base of my tree, which is about four feet away. And it climbed that tree just using its front legs, which I am. That's impressive. That's it's super impressed that a yeah. bear can do that. It climbed the tree all the way up to the height that I was at. So there I am with one arrow left and I'm looking at this bear like four feet away. I'm like, a young teenage kid. And then I shot the last arrow right through the bear. It let go of the tree and fell at the base of my tree, basically, and then did death moans. And I was looking down at it, looking at it laying on its back. So its belly's facing me. And I remember thinking, okay, is it dead? Like, is it dead? And looking back now, and even then, if I wasn't so excited, I would know that clearly it was dead. So I, I broke a branch off the tree that I was in and I threw it down on the bear and the bear didn't move. And I broke another branch off and I threw it down on the bear and I didn't realize that basically I had covered the bear in branches. So I hustled down the tree, drove the ATV full speed to where my dad was hunting with my mom. And my dad says, when we came back and he walked into the bait site, all he could see was broken wooden arrows everywhere and a bear <laughs> underneath a log pile. <laughs> So yeah. your dad tells that so yeah. his side of the story, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I've heard it before. Yeah. I can just imagine being a father, you know, walking up oh, there. Yeah. 
you can see all these arrows, a dead bear that you can barely see underneath the pile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <dead> <laughs> yeah. So it was, I got my money's worth in shooting. That's for yeah. sure. But, uh, expensive. Do you remember like leading up to the hunt, how you felt like you knew you were going to go out that spring and go bear hunting for yourself. You'd been with your dad already a, a couple times, a few, well, since you've been three years old, right? That's Tagging right. along in the woods. Did you feel any sort of like the anticipation of it? Did you like, what was that like? Do you remember? I do. I, it was always like maximum anticipation over hunts like that. I remember not sleeping at night, like the countdown for, you know, that's like your Stanley cup as a kid, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's all you think about. I can't imagine with nowadays, like how with the information out there and the videos you can watch and how that can be even bigger if a kid Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it doesn't get bigger. Maybe they get a big fill from just watching videos. But for me, it was like reading articles and practicing with my bow and making my own arrows. And, you know, we didn't even have proper camouflage and stuff back then. So it would be like wearing what type of plaid is going to be the best pattern or, and at the same time, you're trying to afford things that, you know, that you don't have enough money for. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, it was, uh, everything I did was always preparing with the anticipation of the upcoming hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And that year, yeah, my mom was hunting a different bait and I was hunting that bait. And well, I, your mom was hunting yeah, too? Yeah, she actually, she never did shoot a bear. She could have the one time, but yeah, once or twice she what said. What was she hunting with? Like a bow or a oh, gun? Oh yeah, compound. A little, no way. Yeah. A little Pearson, an old Pearson with the bracketed on wheels. Like 40 pounder? Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. That's, she could shoot quite good. No way. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Just didn't want to shoot something, eh? No, and you know what? My mom at the same time, I remember when I was, before I shot that bear, a year before she, because I didn't have a driver's license yet, I was quite young. She took me out on my birthday bear hunting and sat with me in the tree. Like, <laughs> isn't that awesome? That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and a bear came in and it was just small. So I didn't shoot. Yeah. So. That is pretty cool. Yeah. You don't hear too many stories like that no. nowadays. No, no. You know, I just actually finished part two with Noah. It's going to oh, come out. Cool. And yeah, he talks about that. Like Donna being out there, you know. With For the him, deer. With the deer. And yeah. it's like that. Yeah, it's a that's big deal. kind of a dying thing. It like is. It is. It's kind of sad. Hopefully, I'm sure there's still some people doing that though. Oh, for we sure. We just don't hear about no. it. No. And you know, we live in the city. Yeah. That's and I right. think that if we were rural, that it would happen a little bit more. Oh, for sure. You'd yeah. hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because both parents are already out there. Yeah. Right? So. It's quite the trip to go from where we live to where we hunt. Oh, for yeah, that's so, true as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's I've always enjoyed that story. Just <laughs> the vis, vis, visualizations of seeing the bear just there. I would then, like to be a fly on a tree watching all those arrows get shot at that bear rolling around. Like it must have been hilarious. Like, well. <laughs> Yeah. Just yeah. lost it. Like, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, it's like, I knew I had the bear. Were you picking a spot when you first shot? The first shot I did. You remember that? It yeah. was like. Yeah. That my dad drilled that into my head about picking a spot when you shot. And I learned that you had to with the stick. And when bow. you tried to pick a spot, were you trying to pick like a, a tuff of hair? Or That's a, right. Like a, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. A blemish. My dad pointed out growing up that there's always going to be something. And it's mm -hmm. true. Yeah. I mean, unless it's low light. Yeah, then you don't see right. much, but Silhouette. you shouldn't you shouldn't be shooting at that point, right? So not instinctively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So that's cool. And then, yeah, it was just a rodeo after that. It was, it was. Yeah. Even the ATV ride, I shouldn't have been going that fast. I think I remember being in fifth gear on a trike going over a plowed field <laughs> and realizing yeah, that, that when you get to top speed, it feels smooth. Yeah. Because you're just skipping across <laughs> yeah. the tops of the, just, yeah, of the mud clumps. That's yeah. a disaster. You hit a rut the wrong I way. I know. I know. I'm a lot of things in my life I probably shouldn't be here because of, but. Well, we got away with a lot as a, my niece actually was just in an accident, like with a side by side. She was with friends. Like and they rolled how it. recent? Oh, just like four days ago, five oh, no. days ago. She survived, but she got hurt, banged up her arm, uh, lost a couple teeth, a couple loose teeth. That's just because kids are doing donuts. Kids aren't. How old are they? Oh, Noah's age. That's scary. It is. It is scary. It's just like uh, three wheelers. But it's more not dangerous. scary when you're that age. It's just scary no, when you, you become a parent. Know, but yeah. And it's like I told my sister there. It's yeah, we, I've done a lot of not a lot of things, but some things where the consequences weren't actually that bad, but they could have been mm -hmm. like really For sure. bad, really bad. Yeah. Just. Lots of times. Oh, exactly. And it's like, so there's, you're just a kid and you're yep. being kind of young and dumb, really. Yeah. Were you scared or excited when you were going across or both? Like with the bear? Oh, no, I wasn't was, scared. Oh, okay. So yeah. it was like, you knew the bear was dead. Yeah, when you I was got just down. super excited. It was oh, okay. pure adrenaline. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had waited. My first word was bear. I mean, we've, yeah. had, we've had talks about that before. I've been, bears have been part of my life from my first memory yeah. and then to finally shoot one, I mean, that's a really big deal. Right. And when it all comes together, I mean, and you're what 14 or whatever I was that emotion, like, I think I was on a high for probably a couple of weeks. What do you guys do with the high? Did you get a tanned or got it tanned? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a whole other story what ended up happening with that but not for today but, okay yeah wow, i haven't heard that one actually <laughs> yeah. i've heard a lot of your stories but yeah. not that one that's yeah. interesting i i'll ask you later sometime yeah but so yeah you get the bear and then you're uh what are you doing after that like how, are you deer hunting yeah all those then it was uh I, I remember going with that same recurve i went elk hunting oh yeah um missing i went elk hunting wow I must have been 18 when I got drawn for elk the first time. Maybe sooner, but I, I remember missing your, school or missing university where, did the you first go with week. Your dad? I went with my dad and his friend Serge, and we got into elk. I had a bull elk at like 10 yards, but behind trees. Well, you know how it is. Oh, yeah. You have to call in 12 before you get a shot at one. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was very exciting. I remember shooting a, a bear when I was elk hunting. Yeah. On an oats field where the elk were coming to the field. Um, I remember passing while elk hunting, I passed on a really, really big whitetail in, in a windstorm. We were actually um, northwest of here, got drawn, went on a, in a spot that we go to quite frequently, but ended up following that sounds of elk all morning mm -hmm. and got turned around. No GPSs back then. You got to understand it was just map and a compass. Well, we got so turned around as it turned out, we ended up walking 13 miles, um, that morning and it turned into a windstorm, uh, late in the morning. And that's when we decided we should make our way out. So walking out in this windstorm, it was probably 60, 70 kilometer hour winds. 
Ooh. And we found an old trail that was kind of heading in the right direction of where we thought we should go. Like a quad trail or? No, like an old, like an old, there wasn't quads then. People only okay. had trikes, right? There wasn't really yeah. quads. It yeah, was yeah. probably the 80s. So like um, an old skid trail, like where they logged? An old logging trail, all grown in. So there's like big poplars on each side. And then the, it had grown enough in on the trail that there was like spruce tree saplings that were maybe five feet tall. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of spotted on the trail so yeah. that you kind of had to zigzag around them yeah, to yeah. make your way down the trail. And I remember coming over this rise and I think Serge was in the front and he stopped because there was a buck with its head down feeding, walking towards us on the trail. And it was a fully racked, big velvet buck. Like it was probably a hundred and it was all of 140, might've been bigger. And I remember knocking an arrow and I had a deer license. And the wind, it was so windy that buck had no idea we were there. And it was probably only about 40 yards away. So with those little spruce trees in the way, I just ducked down and walked straight towards it. And very fast, I was almost running because the wind was gusting. And I got right probably within well under 10 yards from it and knocked an arrow and it lifted its head up and I drew back and I wasn't going to shoot it. I didn't know where we were. So I didn't know about getting it out. Like, like I said, we we're 13 miles, like wasn't a great time and it was warm. It wasn't a great time to shoot a deer. So how did you, did you come to that conclusion that you in my head, it? I was like, I'm going to try to get closest, but, but I really don't want to shoot it. It was dad or surge where they like, Hey, they thought I was maybe going to shoot it and they were okay with it. Yeah. So <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. I would have shot myself. So like, that's impressive. I, I don't shoot. And the buck spooks and it runs to my right over a little hill. So I just run up the hill and it stops again. I guess the deer in that area, they don't know a lot of danger. They never see people. And now it's broadside at probably 10 yards. And I drew back and just let down and then walked away. Wow. Yeah. Multiple opportunities. on a really, really big, it was a five by five. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Pretty cool experience. And that showed me that you know, you can get away with a lot in the wind. And as we've talked before, I've had some really good deer hunts in the wind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you find the right spot where the deer feel comfortable. You have one on video too. I do. And yeah, a really big miss on video. <laughs> was there a couple misses or? Well, no, the biggest deer I've ever shot <laughs> was at it just in my one, life. I know, but it was, was in it the just, wind. Was it just one miss on video or was it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not really on video. You just hear it. Yeah. Because I couldn't get the camera turned around behind the tree. Yeah, that's right. So. But you were videoing. Yeah, yeah. The camera turned on. Yeah. 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 Now that, we're not going to talk about that. No. This is still ha- too happy fresh. stories. Yeah. That, that was like how many years ago? It's still. Is that always be too like fresh? Five years ago or so. It's more or, than that even. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be a decade old. For yeah. To talk about. It feels like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That is a cool story. I do remember hearing that one as well. It's. I think I would have shot. But then again, being in that situation, you don't know where you are. And, and that's probably for me, that was the first time I'd ever been lost, right? Like, well, not totally lost. We knew if we walked west that we would get to the road. Yeah. But right? who wants but to do when, that when you can kind of probably pick your way through? That's right. And actually get back to the truck. I'm guessing that's what you're getting to. That's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. How did you do with the paper maps and the compass? Like... That's it a made whole you, different Yeah, I think era. it made you, and when you grow up with it, you don't know any different because right. there's no other options, right? So you grow up with that. I think that it's second nature and you just become, you just get good at it. 
are you constantly checking your coordinates or where, how I you're? I think what we mostly did was we would, you'd always have an idea of where you were, right? Like, you know that you just passed a swamp and you know where you went in on this trail and it's like, well, that must be this swamp. And then you walk or you call and you go west for a while or, and then all of a sudden you come to a big lake. Well, that's very clear on a map where the lake is. And now you know that you're on, you know, the east side of the lake. And here's the lake. If we hook around this way and then we head north from there, we go to this pond. So it's always landmarks. But that's tedious because you're taking the map out. You have to unfold it or you like. We would, yeah, well, we would, but it would be folded in such a way that the part that we were using that day would be in a Ziploc facing up. Oh, you'd, so that you just pull it out and you'd be seeing the area that you're in. They had Ziplocs back, back in the, or a plastic in the day? bag. Or, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting things laminated and yeah. stuff like that too. So, yeah, that's hardcore. Like, that's a big thing I learned from you guys about just like walking and not caring about getting lost per se. Like, yeah. you kind of knew where you were, but it was always like, yeah, you just go. Yeah. If you're elk hunting, that is like, you just go in the bush. Yeah. Yeah. You just go. And it's like, you don't worry about it. Okay. I got to start doing that, not worrying about it. Well, when you think about it, if you're, if you're trying to pay attention the whole time, because you're worried about getting out, you're probably only going half the distance that we're going when we're not worrying about it. Mm -hmm. You can always get out. Yeah. It, like it's. Biggest thing is knowing like, okay, worst case scenario, like you said, like a road. Yeah. You just use a compass. If you need to go direct, direct, directly west, get my words out there, then you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's going to suck because now you don't know where the truck is if you have to go north or south per se, but. You aren't dying. You, 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 we've done that a lot where you come out to the trailer or the road and you're like, okay, do we go right or left now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Hopefully you went in on a trail. So you know that if you haven't crossed that trail on your way out that you might, yeah. have, you know, which way to go. Right. Did you find back then there were a lot of people who were nervous to go in deep for like, if you're hunting elk, something like that. I think that I had a skewed opinion or maybe not maybe a skewed opinion, but I, I was always around really, really good outdoorsmen. Confident guys. My dad's friends were really good hunters. And so I bet there was a lot of people out there that were nervous and not going far in or leaving flagging trails or, but I grew up around a group of guys that didn't do that. Did they talk negatively about the flagging tape? No. Did they use it? Only for trailing animals after they were hit. Okay. Yeah. Nobody would flag a trail into a spot. Did they talk about, hey, we can't flag here because other people will realize this is a good spot? Or? No, I think that we just knew that. It was never talked about. Okay. Yeah. That's how hardcore you guys were. <laughs> well, yeah, I it, guess, you know, I like, guess really, looking back, it, it must have been. But growing up in it, it wasn't hardcore. It was just the way it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like because when you come into this circle or into this, you know, pastime or sport or whatever you want to call yeah. it. And you see people doing that it, to people that don't know better, it looks hardcore. But if you grew up in it, it's just how it is. You don't know the other way. You don't know the other opinion, right? Like I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know anybody that did that. Because I remember using flagging tape back in the day. And I remember finding bear baits and tree stands with trails flagged in and out of them and wondering why, like why somebody would do that. And then kind of realizing that, oh, they must be nervous about finding their way in and out. Yeah. But, well, that's for sure. My first deer I ever shot 
So I'm a real young teenager. I don't know, like 13 or something. I shot it in the morning and I was in that stand probably 40 minutes before the sun came up. And my dad didn't walk me in and it was over a half mile through the woods. Did you? In the dark. Have you been to the stand before? I had been to the stand before, um, but we had just recently moved it. And it was a pasture, so it's not like it was horrible. Like it was still quite thick, but it, it wasn't like a wide open grazing pasture. It was mm -hmm. it was wooded. And I remember there was some anxiety about walking through the woods in the dark, you know, when you're 13 years old by yourself for like half mile to a mile. Would you have your compass out the whole time kind of, or like sporadic, uh, sporadically? No, I wasn't really using a compass. I don't, didn't use a compass really? to get into those spots. I would use a flashlight a little bit, but a lot of the time my dad had taught me that if you just don't have it on, your eyes adjust and you can see quite good, right, in the dark. So how were you getting your sense of direction? Just knowing that just he would drop there. me off on a fence line and I knew that I would cross the fence and go through the first meadow and then hook. Okay, so and, there was like yeah, kind of... there were little landmarks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You just aren't walking through like a... No. Mono. Not like where we all hunt or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. What are the, some of the other good stories? There's so many. Like oh. it's, you got the bear, you got the, the deer. The first moose was pretty interesting. That was a long battle, like struggle to get a moose. Is that the big moose? That big, that 50 incher. That was your first moose? That was my first moose. Yeah. Yeah. And I okay, I went out a, so many times and brought people with me. And every time I would bring somebody with me, I'd call and it would go to them I think and they we would can shoot. And, talk about the moose hunting in southeastern Manitoba, eastern Manitoba. Oh, yeah. yeah it was Sandy Lance. It was Sandy Lance. Yeah. It was right all, off Highway 1. I don't think it will Killed ever. a ton of, we, me and my friends, we all killed moose there. There's no more yeah. moose there, so we can talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, so and it was so nice because you could just drive out like in the morning and go moose hunting. Like you leave at five in the morning, drive out, walk out, hunt moose. You'd almost always hear something or see something. That's wild. You could actually yeah. drive those roads because you know the roads are all sandy. Yeah. You would just find fresh set of moose tracks because the moose would be running down those roads at night looking for smelling or looking for hot cows. So you would just get on a fresh set of tracks in the, in the dirt, in the mm -hmm. sand, and drive it until you found where that moose cut into the woods and just go into the woods and call. Cause you know, if it's from that morning or that night before, he's gonna hear you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if it's a calm morning. So you just follow the track. I remember my dad and I followed the tracks one time for miles. And it was actually after a morning hunt, we followed them into a swamp. And we went in there that night and my dad set me up to shoot. And we called that bull in and it went to him. It went all the way around me and went to him and he shot it. <laughs> yeah, my, my moose story was it, was, it was a struggle to get a moose, but I had gone into the spot, a spot that that guy Serge I talked about before. Um, the company he works for, uh, the guys spend a lot of time uh, in the back country and they consistently would see moose in this one area in the Sandy Lands. And he told me that and he never, he said that he never planned on going there. So I found it on a map and I went there and there was moose sign. I think we had shot one or two moose there the year before from just me taking friends out and trying to get a moose, but it would always go to them. And then I, I went there one morning, called all morning, nothing, went back the next morning. I think it was my second or third morning going there. It was September 24th. I remember that clearly. And I had bought some cow in heat gel 
And I would always use uh, scents for animals, but I wouldn't use it as just an attractant. I would use it um, so that they wouldn't, it was a deterrent for them to not get downwind. So what I would always do is if, if say the wind was from the north, I would put a bunch on a branch or on a, on a little stick and throw it about 20 yards to my right, to the east. Like you would or throw to the, the west, stick? The stick. And okay. I would take another one and throw the other one to the west. So I had, so if the wind was say from the north and that moose or whatever species I was hunting was going to try to get downwind of me, that they would get to that scent line of that stick before it would get to my scent line and hopefully follow it up so that it wouldn't get downwind of me. So I had done that with the moose scent, right? Always thinking strategically, always overthinking everything, but sometimes it pays off. Sometimes well, all you do is overthink, but yeah. So I thought I had heard a moose. It was probably nine o'clock in the morning. For out there, it was starting to get late already. And I moved around a little willow bush so that I could shoot properly kind of to the Southeast where I thought I heard this moose. And so as it turned out, nothing came of it. And I threw my pack back on and was going to walk back to the original spot about 30 or 40 yards away where I had those scent things set up to finish my moose hunt for that morning. And as I turned around and grabbed my bow and started walking, I looked to the West and there was this bull moose about 80 yards away, this giant bull walking right at me. So I remember just melting right into the tall grass, like just kind of knelt down and put an arrow on and the heart started to beat and it came in like on a string and it came behind a willow bush, a little clump of willows. And I drew back and it stepped out the other side. It was 25 yards and I, I shot it through the chest and it ran maybe 50 yards and fell over. And all you saw was it disappear in the tall grass and then you saw the feet come up and then you saw the head lift up and a big cough and you could see the blood come out of its mouth and then its head fell and you could see the one antler sticking out of the grass. Oh, man. And I was so excited, but I was so worried because you don't think straight. At that point, like I do pretty good until that point and then I, some, then I would lose it. Yeah. I do better now. Yeah. But I remember thinking, I hope it's dead. <laughs> I mean, you, you and I think of that. And it's like, clearly, dude, it's dead. Like, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. had that with that, my only bull elk that I shot. Yeah. Heart shot it, falls, runs 50 yards, falls down and then starts thrashing around. And I thought I, sh I need to get down and shoot it one more time yeah. because it might get up and run yeah. away. That's what adrenaline does yeah. to you. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you have this big bull down. Oh yeah. I remember I was so in awe. I walked around it so many times looking at it that when it came time to take pictures, it was just like a flattened field from me walking all the grass down from walking <laughs> around it. So there I am solo with this big bull. It was, it was 50 inches and I had a trike. And, uh, okay. How did he get the, you got the picture solo? You yeah. did it. Yeah. With a little snapshot camera and a timer. Okay, so and... people who could like complain, oh, I didn't get pictures because I was on my own oh, in this a, day and age. No, there's no excuse. No excuse for it. It's because you didn't take the, you didn't put in the effort and you didn't take the time yeah, and just, just admit that being lazy. That's right. Or yeah. if it's not important to you, then whatever. That's true. Right? I guess it's not yeah. exactly. It's a personal thing. But. Yeah. But honestly, yeah. But that's what you see so. for the rest of your life. You don't see the mount all the time. But now no. with the cameras, camera roll that we have now, you see it all the time. Oh, yeah, it comes and up. And you can pull it up when you're talking to buddies about it, right? Yeah. That picture is important. Big Not time. for bragging, just for memories. Yeah. Right. And you've so. always done that. You've always... 
always took the time to take a picture. Yeah. That brings up a kind of question for you. Do you remember when the pictures became like important to you guys where you actually would, you know, maybe clean some blood up, maybe move the tongue uh, out of the picture, you know, just like make it nice, aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. My dad always taught me that he did. Yeah. And then I learned a lot. Um, and I really need to give a lot of credit to Rod McGrath. Yeah. I learned so much from Rod. Like when you talk about details and you know how we're detail guys, mm-hmm. um, that guy taught me a lot about details with hunting, especially like strategies with whitetails and picture taking and like lots and lots of detail stuff. Yeah. I know. I mean, at one time everybody knew who Rod was and he's, you know, I guess just like everybody, you, you get less vocal and you, you grow up and. Well, and it's a new crew that moves in. It moves right? in. And, but That's that guy a- there. That guy is a bundle of knowledge. You should have him on. Yeah, I should talk to him. Yeah. Well, that's cool about the pictures because I'll just, a little short story. I wasn't, I wanted the pictures, you know. I knew they were important Mm -hmm. because I grew up reading magazines and that played such an influential part in my early hunting career was the written word. You know, that's all I had. But I remember sending my dad some pictures that had blood in them. He didn't like it. Mm. He's like, you know what? Congratulations on your deer. And he was, because he lived in BC, so I, you couldn't see my actual kills. So That's I sent right. him the you picture. to share it. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd be, he'd, he'd be happy, but also disappointed. And he's wow. like, you got to start, he's like, start trying to take some nice pictures. And that, I was like, okay, that was a big Well, you got to think if, if it bothered your dad, who's proud of you. Think how much it can bother somebody that doesn't care about you. Yeah. Right. That's right. Taking the time just to clean up the the blood. Yeah. And we can be in people's faces as hunters because we can be like, I don't care what you think, but that's, that doesn't help us out. You know, to do things tastefully, it's just like, you don't want to hunt and be blatant that you're there hunting. Like try to be discreet. Yeah. Right. I think you learn that you go through a phase where it doesn't matter and I don't mind the blood and I don't mind. I like the, the rack sticking out of the back of my truck when I'm driving home. And, but then you get later in life where you're like, no, I just don't want anybody to know anything. Actually, I don't want anybody to know because I don't want them to know my spots. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly. It's just, yeah, maybe you're a bit egotistical when you're young or you want to identify like Mm -hmm. we identify as bow hunters. That's That's right. I think that's important. It, just like I think, you know, the records clubs are important. It's it's a rites of passage thing. It's acceptance. You've it's a goal. It you know, mm-hmm. there's positive reinforcement for for an achievement. I think all that's really important. Yeah. Right? But it's not really important for everybody, and it's not really important for each guy forever. You know what? Doing this, uh, this is a, the only here's the only like fourth guy I've had on. Yeah. But I've been seeing a trend. Hunting is so personal, and I said this with Brett Unra. But it's just, uh, I talked to a guy, a sweet guy from Iowa who lived in Alaska for 10 years mm-hmm. teaching in like a Northern community there. And he had a really neat perspective on it is just being more like kind of thankful for the the hunt and being like, it's more of a, a luck thing, you know, and just kind of a personal opinion or preference. I like that. You know, and how, so yeah, just tying that in. I was kind of convoluted, but it's like a personal, what I'm trying to say is it's personal preference. And we put that on other hunters, like as if they need to believe it, mm-hmm. like we believe it. No, they're at a different stage. 
nurturing. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that cycles or stages of a hunter. I did. It's yeah, a it was circle. taught in hunter safety class. Yeah, and it talks about like oh, the final one is outdoorsman, and you start with like, like, I don't know, like success based, and then mm-hmm. it goes on to method. I think I talked about it a yeah. bit about it earlier. You know, and then you can. Some people go around the whole circle. Some people go around it multiple times. Some people, but you know, when you look at all those different stages, you see it. And it is, it's, I don't think it's right to force your opinion on other people, depending on what stage they're at. You know, unless there's, I shouldn't say that either, because there is guys where what their results are is all that matters and how they go about getting to that stage or getting that those achievements doesn't matter. And I think there's a problem with that. Right? There, there can be, I guess I never got into the records club too big because I didn't kill anything big enough except bears. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, I know when I was part of some of these clubs there or volunteering my time, there was kind of like an element where you didn't shoot something big enough. Like you really don't belong here, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, man, I love this so much. Like it kind of felt there was a bitter taste in my mouth, honestly with that. Yeah. Because it was like, well, who knows, maybe I'm not hunting the best land, right? Like these are things you learn. And I believe a good hunter, will understand when he's on good land and on bad land. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it, there is yeah, an element you, to that. You need yeah, to understand. Sure. And some people just don't know better. Yeah. I remember taking out a friend, you know who he is. He had hunted deer forever and yeah. our wives met through mom's group. And she, the, his wife saw that I had been successful at bow hunting and couldn't believe it because he hadn't been not knowing that I grew up in a family where it was quite easy to shoot a deer. Um, but he had no idea. He had no mentor. So I took him out and he shot. I told him, well, there's a small buck that comes by here every time I've sat <laughs> yeah. here from this direction and yeah. it comes by at this time. And he looked at his watch and looked up and here was the buck coming and he shot it. He couldn't believe that it was that. It was like, I just went out with him and shot a deer. And then I went out with him and I shot a bear the first time I went out. And it's like, well, yeah, because where you were hunting, there was no deer. Like you can keep going there all you want, but you're not going to kill anything because there's no deer there. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to put you in a tree where there's no deer, but he didn't know any better. He didn't have that mentor. He, di- he didn't have a mentor. He didn't, you know, he, he had no knowledge base. He had nothing. So then after that, he, his learning curve was quite steep. Like he did great. Went out and shot a bunch of deer yeah. on his own. Right. Just That's right. realized, okay, I've been doing it wrong this whole time. And yeah. yeah. So the results based. Yeah. That's good, I guess, because it, that, it can drive you. That's right. To be better. But. But then results based like the guy the one time that shot a moose entered it in the record book oh and his buddy said listen i was in camp with him and he shot that with a gun yeah guys just want it so bad yeah and that that's what i mean when i say that it can't be too results based right like no but criticizing a guy whether he's what weapon he's using or like that's all ridiculous yeah like we love bow hunting yep and it's really hard like for me to think about rifle hunting you barely rifle hunted i think you may might have shot one one day did you shoot something with it yeah yeah so you shot one i've shot probably close to 10 animals with a muzzle loader or a gun yeah so a few more but it's but now not having done it it yeah i yeah i don't want to be judgmental with rifle guys because that's really the bread and butter of hunting and giving us hunters a voice yeah like i know that yeah my brother and my dad are rifle guys yeah we're gonna go share a a moose camp and they're gonna have rifles that's right 
if That's I great. was like, you guys are still out there hunting. Yeah. If I was really strict, no, I can't, I would never, no, would never happen. No. It was like Larry D Jones and Dwight Shue, a little bit different, but uh, Dwight Shue was the compound guy. That's right. Larry the recurve guy. Yeah. And they even talked about that in their video and yeah. they made kind of fun of the whole debate between compounds and yes. recurves. Like they did a great job of that. Yeah. You remember that, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was totally. just like a joke. Like yeah. the guys can still be friends and hunt together. Yeah. And I know a guy that rifle hunts, doesn't bow hunt at all, a taxidermist. He lives in BC now um, from Winkler originally. Oh, yeah. And that guy is such a good rifle hunter. Like when we talk about strategy, like he thinks about his entrance every time he goes into a spot in the dark, where the deer are going to be if he's bumping them, his exit. The guy kills giant deer all the time. Every species he goes after, he does. he's just a really detailed rifle hunter. And it's like, we can talk about all the same type of strategies, even though he's got a gun in his hand and I yeah. have a bow, right? Some so. guys are just like shooting a gun. Yeah. Like they gravitate towards that. They like, they're always doing their own reloads, measuring all that, yep. you know, building their own guns. Yeah. But I think our kind of exposure to rifle guys is basically going out, not practicing a whole lot. That's right. Not really knowing deer habits or yeah. whatever game yeah. they're pursuing. But look at Malco. He can kill anything with anything. Oh, just well, what does he choose to use that time? Right. Exactly. Like, has no difference on whether he's going to be successful or not. Cause he's going to kill no, something. He's, oh, hundred percent. So he's just picking a weapon. Yeah. He's a good hunter with no matter what weapon That's, you put in his hands. So, oh, big time. That guy with moose hunting. Uh, yeah. I would say he's a mentor mm -hmm. talking to him and just picking his brain oh, in about, the woods. Whew, woodsmanship. Yeah. Well, watch that guy skin a bear. It's going to bear in like 20 minutes. Well, it's unreal. Yeah. If you want to be a good guide, basically learn how to trap and be a carpenter. <laughs> That's so true. Or a mechanic. Or a mechanic. Yeah, and a mechanic. Or both. Or, yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, guys like that do really well in the outdoor industry. Yeah, for sure. I don't trap. I'm a poor carpenter. I'm, I'm a horrible handyman. <laughs> but we're out there. Yeah. We're doing it. So yeah, you're running a big bear operation. So it's, yeah. It's you just spend a lot of extra money. That's yeah. All. Yeah. That's right. So the moose thing, that was good. You got your 50 incher. Yeah. And I've shot a couple other small ones since then. And then the moose population crashed and my moose spots were gone. And now it's more of that you spend the time trying to get drawn or the money to fly to a place where there is moose. And I've done that a bit, but not enough to really to really put in an effort like I'd like to put in. So I've been thinking about moose hunting and how hard it is to get experience. I've listened to other podcasts where guys have come on and they're kind of like the moose expert and they got, they do have a lot to offer because I've moose hunted a little bit. I would not say I'm an expert. I've only killed one, you know, so it's far from an expert, mm -hmm. but I know how hard it is to get experience because they're so spread out. They are. You get very little um, interaction with them and actual seeing them coming into a call. Mm -hmm. So how like when I, you're giving somebody advice, but I know that's so what I was saying with that is the guy didn't want to say how many moose he killed. Right. He mm -hmm. was hesitant. He didn't offer that. Well, I think that moose and we know moose, they're not that cagey of an animal. Yeah. If you're calling or if I'm calling, it doesn't matter who's calling, it's probably going to come in. There might be the odd moose where a guy's calling makes a difference. 
maybe I think more than the sound of his call, maybe the fact that he switched it up and threw in some bull grunts. Okay. So the you know sequence. what I mean? Then it's like, oh my, there's not just a cow there that's got a bull. I'm going to go get that cow from that bull. Or maybe like there's a there's technique thrown in just on top of the calling, right? But moose aren't that cagey, especially now that there isn't, you know, moose close to cities anymore. So now we're all going far. We're going to places where moose don't see people. I mean, excluding Southwest Manitoba. That's not really a typical moose hunting destination. No. We're talking moose as moose are normally hunted in the north. Yeah. And boreal forest. Yeah, right. boreal forest moose. So I think that it's it's a location thing. You either got a good spot or you don't. Right? If there's a moose on a lake and it's resident and there's a group of guys there, doesn't matter what group of guys are there, they're going to call it in. Yeah. Right? So the guys that are good at it or what in terms of success rates is because they have a good spot. Yeah. Right. That's what it comes down to. It's like caribou. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't, I've been caribou hunting and I came home without one because I mean, I could have shot caribou, but there's nothing I wanted to shoot there. Yeah. That I saw, you know, um, but if they're there, you're going to fill both your tags. If they're not, you're not. It's kind of like moose. And that's why he didn't want to talk. That's my guess. Yeah. Like it's he did. Because it's largely based on his spot. Yeah. Like he was coming across, like, he was sharing tips and like, you know, I feel myself, I could give you a few tips. Like I kind of, cause I have some moose interaction, right? Oh, I think um, you have, yeah, but for sure. At the same time, I don't want to mislead somebody because it's like, yeah, I put one moose down. I've seen a couple other in person, but it's so hard to get that experience. And I think that guy didn't want to kind of cheapen his experience because soon you say, oh, I killed one moose. Yeah. It's like, well, Oh, you haven't killed because whitetails, you can rack them up yeah, pretty quick. Yeah. Even they're if, everywhere. Yeah. Even some guys in the States with elk, if you're in a, That's right. in a good state, yeah, you're going to, or you can, you know, shoot a couple here. And if you hunt a couple different States, yeah, it's not like here where you're lucky to get a shot at an elk or even see one. Yeah. Here it's a different, right. A lot of those places, like you, you better see quite a few a day. Yeah. Yeah. So. So the moose woods, and I guess that's kind of what's on my mind these days is moose hunting. Cause I got a big moose trip. You have a big moose trip coming up. New yes. area. Exciting. So. Exciting. I haven't shot a moose with the traditional bow yet. And that's something I want to do, but it's been so long that I shot a moose and it's a new spot that I think I just want to go shoot a moose and then worry about shooting one with the stick bow if the spot's good after that. Yeah. I've been practicing. I got my heavier one out yesterday, my 59 pound longbow. And? And it's good. Thing shoots good. But it only shoots as good as you are confident when you have no reference points, right? Oh. You're shooting a stick like that. So um, I haven't been shooting great this year. Some days, yes, but the consistency isn't there. So if that continues how it's going to be, then I'm going to use the wheels. Um, and you've come back to that, come back to that. And I love shooting both. I like being a bow hunter where you give me any bow and I can go kill something with it. Yep. Give me 10 minutes with any bow and I'll go hunting. Yep. That's what you told me when I first met you. Yep. I remember that conversation. I was like, you were right at that point of transitioning over That's back right. from a compound to a stick yeah. bow. Transitioning is the things nowadays. So yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're transitioning back. You changed your mind. <laughs> yeah. That's, there is so much to talk about. I guess I kind of want to go. I'll just, we'll finish off kind of the moose thing a little bit and then we can go off onto whatever tangent we want so like with the moose hunting you've shot a few moose but you guided people to moose yeah that's another one time i got i guided moose one time and the guy got one dave malko i love hearing how he tells the story about you because honestly i lost in the barrens lost in the barrens but the thing is like people that don't know you that don't know ryan or lego uh, the new crew coming up in Manitoba through social media. You kind of, some people will know who you are, but you know what the newer kids, right? They aren't really focusing on the old guys. No, they don't care. I didn't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when you talk to guys like Dave Malko, who was there for a long time, has known you a long time. Okay. He's like, Ryan, that, that guy knows how to read sign. Of course he was going to get a guy a moose. No one shot a moose in camp, right? Except your guy. I worked so but you hard worked for hard. that guy. But yeah. then Rod McGrath said the same thing. Really? And when Rod said, he told me this. Yeah. He's like, you know who the best guy, and I don't, I probably told you this before, but he said, you know the best guy that can read sign? Ryan Derlego. Wow, that's from my dad. That's. Yeah, I know I, that's such, uh, it's shocking to hear that. And I heard you say that on a podcast with Brett, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it but- is. That's like when guys like Malko, yeah. I know people who, some people in the States, uh, Manitoba, they aren't going to know who these guys are, Yeah. but you guys were very involved in the Manitoba Bow Hunting Records Club, mm-hmm. right? Successful guys on a, every species that you guys would hunt. Like Rod McGrath was the man, like you said. Yeah. Dave, I know Dave personally, I worked for him. Good guy. He was successful. And when you have these upper echelon guys. Amazing all around hunter. Yeah. Hunt any species. Saying, any weapon saying these things yeah Let's, yeah no i mean you've seen it you've seen the value in it oh look how much better you can judge sign at a bear bait than you can by a trail cam pick you know what i i still feel like i'm not because i don't have the guiding experience you have like with yeah hey this is a 19 inch or you shoot it and it ends up being a 19 i can't tell that from a yeah but you're pretty good i don't think you're giving yourself the credit you deserve I mean, we've been fooled on trail cam picks a lot on bears. More than pod trails. More than pod trails. I don't know. Which is another thing we need to have a video about is reading sign at a bear bait. But reading sign, I I don't know if it's a lost art. I think too many people rely on trail cameras nowadays. You know what? Yeah. Just listening to deer. Deer might make a difference because you can't really tell by the size of a hoof. Yeah. You know, but you can tell by the size of pod trails at a bait how big the bears are. We can't tell you how what color they are, the plot yeah. trail, but yeah. we don't care. We're just shooting big, big bears, yeah. right? And uh, my dad was told me about pod trails when I was a little kid. He was teaching me about it. Did he go into detail, like the stride length and the width of it? Yeah, he talked about all that. He used to do uh, like little things too, where he would put a stick across a pod trail about 30 yards back in the bush so that if the bear used that pod trail, he'd hear it coming. No way. Yeah, like he was always like, you know, a detail guy. So that's where you got it Probably, from. Probably, yeah. Of course well, he did. Of course I did, yeah. Yeah, from him and the guys that you were Yeah, and then he had with. detailed friends and then I met people like Rod and Dave and then it just adds to what you do. It's like the group of fishing guys. Like you talk to, what was his Josh name? Harwood. Josh, yeah, like that. Really detailed. Very detailed. And this whole group of friends were like that. Huge. Right? So 
and they got the success yeah. to back it up. Right. Like that's why you're doing it. That's if right. If you didn't see any results. Yeah. Being results based to yeah. the degree. We, I guess we all are. Well, you right have up. to be, because if you kept doing it for 20 years, and you never got anything. You'd probably stop. But when it comes down to but hey, that, it misses by an inch. But you know, is after years and years of hunting, if that's still your motivation, if you're not getting out of something, if you're not getting something out of just being in the outdoors, like honestly, and I don't know if you've seen it in me, but it's not that important for me to get something at this stage. You know, like Oh, I've seen it with elk hunting. Like when we went elk hunting together for the yeah. that first time, it was I was the shooter, it seemed like, every single time, even though well, yeah, we didn't see anything. but For sure. But that's like, how it is. And that's how you would be with the, the guy that you took out. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. how it should be. Yeah. Right? So. I think being, like, more selfless, right? Selfless. And that's my whole group of hunting friends. Yeah. There's been times where an elk's coming in and you're almost having a fight on who's going to shoot because nobody wants to be the guy. <laughs> that, I, right? You know what? Those make for good hunting camps. Yeah. Like it yeah those are the guys you want to hang out with i don't For want to sure. go with a guy that it's always guy. about them and that's right yeah. shooting something and it was kind of weird the last trip that i went on moose hunting with jason and, and greg there like i was the man i was up because yeah. they both shot moose up at the lake yeah i had it it was a weird it is weird i didn't like it actually i know it felt like self it feels selfish it does yeah. and then you kind of feel like sometimes i caught myself being selfish like yeah. oh, i'm it's like ugh. no Having that introspection, just being like, that's not healthy. No. It's not healthy to be given stuff like that. Even if it's right that it's your turn, I, I think it's good when you feel like a little bit of guilt that it's your turn. You know what I mean? That That's when you know you're, you're with the right people yeah. and that your mind's working the right way too. Yeah. Right? That's right. We talk about doing it for yeah. the right reasons, I guess. But I guess, yeah, with that moose story. You're guiding up with Malco. Oh, yeah, that was crazy. A couple other guys. We were one-on-one, -on -one, so uh, Tim was guiding a guy. Uh, Dave was guiding a guy, and I was guiding a guy. And I think the hunt was like 10 days long. We were up there for two weeks, so there was some scouting uh, pre-hunt. These guys came into camp, and it was one of those spots where it didn't end up being what it was supposed to be. How many hunts have we been on like that, right? So I did get into uh, moose sign in one spot. Found a fresh uh, scrape a little bit of a wallow. And I thought that maybe I heard him, that we might've bumped a moose. So um, it was for an east wind though. It was a really particular spot. And as you know, like the, you're not gonna get a moose if it smells you, right? No. So the very last night, the wind was right. So we went back into that spot and it's quite a trek in there. You gotta cross the big lake that you're on and then go through a series of little channels and streams to get into another lake and then you keep going from there. Got into the spot, called in the moose. The guy shot the moose. Um, so had, that's not the exciting part. That's not the exciting <laughs> part. No, no. It, it was a nice, like a 40 some inch moose. Like yeah. he was happy. You know, it was a tough hunt. And I mean, sometimes your trophy is determined by the, oh. how hard the hunt is. Like that mm -hmm. to us after hunting that hard. So you got three different hunters with three guides hunting 10 days. That's 30, 30 days of hunting if it was a solo hunter. Right. And we finally, you get a shot in the last hour. Right. So this guy drops this moose, shot it with a, I don't know, I think the gun was a 280 or something like that. I don't know guns, but I remember it was, it sounded like 270, <laughs> but it wasn't far off. <laughs> and it dropped in its tracks. And he, of course, he didn't know how to do anything with skinning or whatever. So I did all that and I carried it all because he couldn't carry anything. So 
you know, cut up the whole moose, loaded in the boat. By now it's dark. It starts snowing out actually, sleet and snow, and the wind picked up. And it was full out storming, like a winter storm. So I had to navigate through, I did that breadcrumb thing. Like this is now when we have GPSs, but you could like breadcrumb your way. Mm-hmm. And I did that through this spot to get the boat through the rocks. <clears throat> and I remember it being pitch black in this storm and me just looking at my GPS with the light on and just controlling the boat, trying to keep it on the dotted line. And I got through those rocks, got out to the main lake. That's sketchy. The wind was out of the Northwest and there you approach the lake from the North, but there's a peninsula on your right. So as I came around the peninsula, we got hit by these waves. They had to have been five feet tall. And I basically rode the one back, got up on it, cranked the boat to the side, rode it back like a surfboard and knew that if we, cause we had a full moose in the front, we would have capsized. There's no way we would have made it across that lake. So it's like, okay, we have to get ready to spend the night. So we did. I built a shelter and started a fire and the guy fell asleep. We cooked some moose meat. It tasted horrible. <laughs> I remember it. I thought it was going to be good, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. It's the biggest yeah. misnomer. Fresh moose meat's the best. Yeah. No. No, it's not. Let no. it age. Yeah. No. So, uh, I, yeah, I stayed up all night tending that fire because the shelter I built was out of spruce tree limbs. And if I made the fire too big, it would catch on fire. So I had to just make sure it was a little fire and I was soaked to the bone. I remember being freezing cold. Were you concerned about hypothermia at this point? I was a bit. I, that's why the fire was so essential, right? Yeah. So, and yeah, I think I had, I didn't have the right rain gear. You know, you get, you don't get the good gear till later. That's one <laughs> yeah. thing I would advise people of is get good gear. Don't waste money on garbage. If you know it's something you yeah. want to do, just find the money, right? Like. That's, I get it. You don't need like a binoculars, right? Know what to spend your money yeah, on. But rain gear, that's that's a biggie. Okay. In moose camp, what do we talk about? You know what we talk about? Our heli Hansen Impertech, yeah. which you can barely find in Canada that's anymore. Right. Yeah. Like in the States, I think they still have it. So if you have What's a, it called now? Uh, I don't know. Abbotsford or I'm not quite sure what it's called. It's not as good. No. I got another Impertech jacket, black. Yeah. Looks nice. like a moose. So, yeah. um, and then we talk about our inflatable boat. That is what we talk about. So about. Impo- that's so safe. Yeah, yeah. Because even if you puncture a hole in, you still got the other chambers still, that have air yeah. in them. Yeah. And even if the floor punctures, doesn't matter. You're floating. You're still driving. Yeah, you'll yeah. have water in there, but for sure, not a big deal. Yeah. So you're tending the fire. Oh, tending the fire. And I remember sitting there. It was probably, I don't know, four in the morning. And Gary's sleeping, my client. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking down towards the lake. And I, about 20 yards away, I think I see a little fire. I'm like, what? A fire? So I go walk over there. And sure enough, the ground's on fire. And then I look 20 yards to my left, and there's another fire. <laughs> so what had happened is my little fire. Yeah had spread under the moss for like 20 or 30 yards each side of my fire and it was burning all the moss underneath the ground so there i am now ripping up all the ground so that the forest so i don't start a forest fire (laughs) what you might want to in this spot yeah maybe a moose spot exactly exactly but so that was quite the job and then the sun came up it was actually a beautiful morning the next morning loaded up got the 
boat running, got out on the lake, and then the engine died. And the plane was coming because that was the last hunt that night. And yeah. I remember thinking, Dave and Tim think I'm dead. Right. Because of the storm. Yeah. And they might have heard the shots and been, been like somebody got shot or oh, something, yeah. right? Like a gun yeah. went off or there was an accident or Gary shot Ryan and Gary doesn't know how to run the boat or doesn't know how to get back. Yeah. And all those negative things go through their mind, right? So I remember floating and I was okay because I knew it was a nice day and they would have come, right? They're not going to leave. No. And I remember Gary and I talking about how much we wanted like a bag of nachos and some <laughs> yeah. Pepsi. Yeah. We're like, oh, that would taste so good right now because we were starving, right? Yeah. Well, not really starving, not like yeah. alone. Like you're just, you got a rumble in your stomach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and then here they come. Yeah. And we were actually just laying in the boat and Dave tells the story and says that he could see the boat and he couldn't see anybody in it. And he was like, that's it. Ryan's dead. I'm going to have to tell his mom that. Yeah. So, his, and then he saw us sit up and we're all like, oh, happy. Yeah. Yeah. He said it was a he's huge crying relief. and hugging yeah. you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, so, that's fun. But that's adventure, right? Like big time. Man, we, yeah, you think of the stories and I mean, we're just going to scratch the surface. I know there's but the time you spend out there just brings stories. Like, well, it's going to happen. Like Northern Manitoba or Northern Canada. Yeah. Remote it, anywhere. It's stories are going to happen yeah it's just a fact yeah like and if you aren't prepared to have a story don't go out there yeah because well, usually a story going. there's misery though <laughs> yeah right that's for sure the, yeah it's not oh beautiful sunshine the more emotions it's not just happy that makes a story no it's that roller coaster that hunting brings oh huge yeah huge we've you have stories with that i got like tough hunts yep right the easy hunts are fun every tough once in a while you deserve one yeah yeah. That's another way I look at it too. When I have a tough whitetail year, like where I go the whole season and I don't shoot at a deer, I look at that like there's that much more chance that I'm going to have a good season the next year because it's an odds thing. You can only play this game for so long before things turn around. Mm -hmm. Right? There's going to be adventure coming when there's tough times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you don't need to go somewhere remote to have adventure. You don't. It's doing something new. Yeah. You know, as well. Instead of like hunting the same old inside corner every whitetail season. Exactly. You gotta try something new. You do. Yeah. Unless I guess that's what you're happy with. Like yeah, everyone has too. different, you For know, sure. they go, the rifle guys go to the big box blind or they hunt that same tree stand. And, and that's what they love. Yeah. You don't want like everybody that. to be the same as you. No, no, that's right. Yeah. You want, yeah. Because then it wouldn't be as much There'd be opportunity Everybody would us. be in your spots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. So with the, the moose hunting season coming up, you guys are going to a new area. Yeah, a lake that you I've, found me, us. I, I found. But you, yeah, but you can't go. Yeah, I pulled out. Yeah. Doing my own thing this year. You have a very important hunt to go on. But like you guys. Yeah, it's exciting. This, it's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, after talking to that guy from work that spent some time up there. Yeah. And he, he said, well, as long as you're west of this spot and north of this spot. So I yeah. went and looked at the map and that's right where we are. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Oh yeah, for sure. And always new areas like we just talked about. There comes that excitement. Yeah. I know as well, like you told me a story about your first bear and that excitement and you know how you felt about that. Yeah. And as hunters, we can kind of get that with doing new things. Yeah. 
go into new areas. Maybe we can't replicate. I don't think we'll ever be able to replicate that first set. No, oh. nope. it's and it's not meant to be yeah. until you get to experience your experience your kids first. Oh, that's hundred percent. That's <laughs> that's it. A whole different yeah ball game there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess what are your expectations with the moose? I guess obviously I know you're going to be like you're going to go out there. You're going to just enjoy yourself. You're not going to expect, but you know, kind of, there's got to be something, you know, still as there's the hunter still in you. There is internal optimist sort of deal yeah. as well. I, uh, I would like to shoot a mature bull. I, that said, if I do have my long bow in my hand and I've never shot a bull moose with a stick and I call one in and I have it with me, you're probably shooting. Then I'd shoot any bull probably with a stick bow just because I would get as much out of that as I would shooting a big bull with my compound, right? So I throw a little bit of method in with, you know, mm -hmm. with the adventure and it changes the outcome, you know, kind of thing. So, or it changes the expectation. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, like always with moose hunting, it's more of my time to just recharge my soul. Yeah. There's something about when that plane flies away and there's no more sound and it's just you and a couple of buddies with your blow up boat and <laughs> nobody's coming to get you. That's right. Blow up boat. Yeah. The boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's something about it. It doesn't matter whether you get something. Yeah. If that's not going to be my, my measure of success is whether there's a moose going home with us or not. Um, but by all means, that's our goal, but it's not going to make a difference. I'm not going to, feel any different about how good the hunt was, whether I kill one or not. Well, you've moose hunted long enough to know That's that right. yeah. the odds aren't in our favor with bows. No, no. And every time you go to a new spot, you got huge expectations. Like we're all going to shoot moose, right? Well, that lake that I'm going to first day out there. Yeah, exactly. Jay shoots like Big. a mature bull. Yeah. Just under, well, mid forties when yeah, close yeah, to 50, 40s, probably. Yeah, 47, yeah. 48 inches. Yeah. Nice bull. Yeah. And then you had that little one coming on right. you. The and same I'm day. Pretty sure we I saw it. You did. We're in camp. We're hanging Jay's moose. You guys probably could have shot it. And we heard you. Yeah. And we're laughing and Jay, And the wind was weird. Yeah, the yeah. wind was weird. And we kind of knew the wind was like it was good for us. Because it was going right out to the lake. And where you were, it and was like it was okay, depending where the moose came from. And what the wind did after it went past me. Oh, really? It was going past me and then around and then back up to where you were. And I didn't know that. That's right. It's one of those things about not being in a spot before, right? So that's right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's exciting. So that's cool. So you're going to hold out for a mature bull with the compound. Yeah. Which is in Manitoba. Yeah. I don't know. How big? Like, 45 plus? Yeah. Probably something like that. Yeah. I don't think I would shoot a bullwinkle. No. No. I'm going to. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've only shot one moose. So well, I we, we need if if that's our last spot in that. Yeah, spot it is. Where you're going, then we need to get some meat out of there. And yeah, that will be the last time we hunt that lake. Mm -hmm. People, just give the GPS coordinates right now. No. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah. All Not of a sudden, you that. go in there and there's like 20 moose. Yeah. It's, I, hey, who knows? It could be good. It, yeah. You never know, right? Like yeah. it's just man, you're going into there. So I guess, yeah, I guess we can leave it at that. There, there's there's lots of, of stories for other times. I know. Yeah. 
And it's just, we've talked about all these stories, like there's elk hunting stories, there's more deer. First deer, all yeah. that stuff, we haven't touched on anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk to you again, I guess, but is there anything else you want to kind of talk about or that comes to mind that? No, it's weird just talking about stories because it seems like it's always about techniques or about, you know? strategizing or well, about, but I, I like the fact that it's like let's just talk about hunting yeah that's man if I it remember, goes a bit into strategies oh, we can go there it's but, a natural progression it's yeah. going to go into hunt lore is going to go into like just in the conversation when you tell a story you're also telling the strategy technique that you used that's right right so there is going to be a bit about that we're all always talking about our attitudes about hunting as well our beliefs on it mm -hmm. it's just how can you not well for sure just to talk about the story. Oh, the doe walked this way or the buck, you know, did this. And yeah, like, yeah, there's going to be some stories and then there's going to be our own personal beliefs mixed in. Yeah. Into that. So yeah, we could do an elk one just from all the experiences with Jason. Oh, ex as a group. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's a lot there. And most of the stories that stand out to me are the ones where there was mistakes made where we didn't end up with something. Those are the funniest stories. <laughs> like what? Do you have something in mind? Or? Well, lots. I, well, yeah, nothing. No, like, yeah. I mean, that's how you get better. Oh. Right? It's through those mistakes, but. Well, you have to learn how to apply the mistakes too, like mm -hmm. or learn from them. Mm -hmm. And that's actually hard. Well, you know, just listening to like Elk Nut and realizing oh. that these sounds mean something and never knowing that because we don't have an elk population where you really get to hear much no. and learn these things right no. like from people like him where he intimately knows what these sounds mean and then he shares them and you're like oh this makes sense now right so i think with his stuff his technique it's the sound but it's also what resonated with me was the emotion of the animal when that to is, capitalize on what sound? Because he was on both sites. Like you probably For remember years. when he was on there, but he would have his playbook. Yeah. And I remember being so frustrated. I gave up on it. Yeah. Because for one, we don't, like you said, have the elk population Manitoba to actually like learn this very easily mm -hmm. unless you luck out and you get a few good days of elk hunting. But it just didn't make sense. No. Didn't make sense until like, I guess last year when Noah got drawn and we went out. Yeah. Started using it. And it's like, okay, there's an emotion behind that call. Yeah. And realistically, why wouldn't you listen to a guy who's got tons of experience and tons of elk around him all the time? Oh, I think, yeah. It's like you trying to, you, not that you're not going to learn from a guy from, say, Ontario or Maine or, you know, about bears. But why wouldn't you look to a guy from Manitoba, Saskatchewan, or Alberta for advice from bears? Because yeah. that's who's going to be around them a lot and ha yeah. probably have the experience, right? So And big ones, you know, and all that, like different uh, healthy age yeah. class of bears. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's what we can finish off on is black bear wear. Black bear wear. Yeah. People are missing out. No, people don't know about it. That's why and yeah. they need to know about it. Okay. So right? what's the I deal told you that story. But yeah. I mean, we know how this all got going. It, it's yeah. us. But I was skinning that bear this spring. Yeah. And the client pulls me aside. I cut out the 
the swizzle. The swizzle stick for him. And he's like, hey, Ryan, sometimes people call that the swizzle stick. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, dude, are you serious? Like, you don't know that we have a shirt? Like, we actually have a swizzle Real bear hunters yeah. do it for the swizzle. It's like I, in a martini glass. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even know that. I'm like, well, there's our problem. Our problem is that people that know us don't even know that we have this to give out or to, yeah. like, it's there. Yeah. And all these great shirts. Like, yeah, there is. Bear hunting humor, you know, like, but truths. Yeah. Right? Like, God, people need, we, we need to figure out how to market so, this. Yeah. Black Bear Wear is a clothing company. Yes. Um, the logo is kind of well it looks like a dead bear or punched out bear or a sleeping bear could be whatever you want it to be hey that's the day and age we live in so yes yeah, that's, that's right. right that's right and it's spelled it's whatever it identifies yeah. as to you <laughs> and it's yeah it's a clothing company and it's ba uh, basically funny sayings that's like right. you said like you just said it with some truths yeah. about there and we talk about truths like shot placement we have <laughs> fifi's yeah <laughs> Is she barking at the binoculars? I think she maybe wants an antler. Do you want an antler? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fifi's Fifi like. Fifi LaFruFru on Instagram. Is she like three pounds? Uh, she's five and a half. Oh, five. Sorry, yeah. Fifi. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So like with shop placement, we have the shittle shirt. That's right. That is I get very rid popular. of that middle of the middle saying. It is not. It's. It's. Oh, I'm wearing it right now. Yeah, you are wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, it's not ethical. Middle of the middle. We need to get people shooting bears in the shittle, which is between the middle and the shoulder. That's why it's called shittle. There's a whole video on it of you coming up with that yeah. saying by accident. By yeah. Yes, that's another way that Ryan came up with an idea, like that's, hunt lore, the name. Yeah, my brain just works out. Yeah, way. you're just like that's a perfect saying for where people need to shoot. Yep. Because we've been trying to kind of. I guess teach people or explain shot placement, proper shot placement. Because we've been there with guys. I made a perfect shot. The arrow was like on a bear, clean as a whistle, went right through guts, you know, and you don't find the bear. Yep. <laughs> That's frustrating. I'd say, especially, well, anytime, but especially when guys have waited two, three years and spent a lot of money to come up here and hunt with somebody and they put the arrow where they're supposed to put it according to some gurus and it doesn't work out that's not right yeah right that's just not right so yeah i mean i think that they're fun shirts they're truthful shirts they're funny yeah right they are yeah lots of them go there blackbearwear.com yeah without the c yeah b-l-a-k black bear yeah and we aren't trying to be woke or whatever is nope. new it's just basically for business reasons yeah. we needed to get the name black somehow that's right and yeah that's and the only way we could get it yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> who runs that business names company but it yeah. made no sense but yeah it turned into blak i don't because i did yeah i had somebody email asking hey it looks pretty cool are you guys trying to make a political statement with your company like black bear where at gmail.com got this okay and i was no not at all no it was strictly for business reasons we needed the name and we yep. wanted black bear yeah that's the only way we could get it and we don't mind being different yeah and we don't mind being different so yeah the logo i think it's pretty trendy i think that non-hunters could wear it too oh you know? guaranteed they could it's I cool think, <laughs> i think that's where you'd probably like hip-hop guys 
Yeah. Would like or it. kids or kids. whoever. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But hunters would. I, I like it. I yep. wear the stuff. I know Noah wears the hat. My son wears the hat all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. The shirts are neat. So there can, can be go. more coming. We just need to get this going. Oh, exactly. We have a lot of ideas. design. I, yes, yeah. ideas. But people need to to know what's going on and yeah, buy so it, get it, wear it, share it. Like you said. There you go. You should. But share it. Don't just buy, get it and wear it, but share it. Yeah. Post it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's local guys, you know, just trying to be a positive influence in the bear hunting community. Yeah. Really. And we're not getting about. rich off this. We're getting poor so far. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why we're so desperado here. Right? <laughs> get some guys to, but like with the hats, yeah. you, like you said on your podcast with your buddy there. Yeah. We're actually losing money on the hats when we were shipping them out. That's right. Each hat we lost money on. So after shipping. If you have a black bear wear hat with the emblem, like the big patch logo, we just paid you to have that, essentially. <laughs> we know, did. Yeah. yeah. We lost money on that. So you're welcome. <laughs> and we're not shipping them out. They're only available to yeah. people here in Winnipeg or if we see in Bear Camp. Yeah. But there's a lot of other great stuff. Hoodies, t-shirts um long sleeves yeah women's section women's kids kids yeah it's all there so get it wear it share it all right thanks for being on ryan thanks buddy talk to you later you bet